0: Welcome to the Style Free Podcast, where a father and son detail and digress on a wide variety of topics within music, art, family, and culture. Your hosts are Professor Stephen J. Tyson, Senior and Junior, also known as Dad and Papo. In today's episode, we enjoy an incredible conversation with Charlie Collins, former head of security for Motown Records and road manager for Stevie Wonder, Cool and the Gang, and more. We also discuss Charlie's magnificent insights into artists like Marvin Gaye, Michael Jackson, Martha Reeves, and many, many more.
1: Okay, Charlie, it's wonderful to talk with you. And thank you so much for being on this uh, Style Free podcast with myself and my son.
2: I appreciate being here.
1: Hello, how are you doing, Charlie? We're here with Charlie Collins, here to talk about his life experiences, notably at Motown, working with Stevie Wonder as his road manager, I think among other responsibilities. And Mr. Collins or Charlie, we think our audience would appreciate understanding some of the experiences that help prepare you for your life in the world of entertainment. Uh, I'd like to start off though, by just some basic uh, information. What's your full name? Charles Tyler Collins. So where where were your parents, uh, what were your parents' names and where were they from?
2: Well, my father was, he was born somewhere down south and my mother was from
1: St. Louis. Of course, Mm. I was born in Oberlin, Ohio. What was it like growing up uh, in Ohio in in the town? What what are some of your earliest Uh, memories? None
2: whatsoever. I I was born in Oberlin, Ohio and moved all around but I, have, I, have, I can't remember Oberlin at all. Can't remember Oberlin. Nope. Well, all I remember is a small town where I was born. And I think my mother was in school there.
1: Did you have any hobbies uh, growing up? No. Well, you know, most of my growing up experiences
2: were in Harlem. Some of it was kind of rough, you know. Now, about how old were you? Uh, let's see. I was about... 10 or 11, 12, in that area, in that, yeah. And I went to a uh, Catholic school, and I wasn't Catholic. Oh. <laughs> but that was a good school, and I had to go to Mass every Sunday. What, what do you remember the name of that school? Resurrection. Let's see, it was on 151st Street.
1: Yes. That's uh, the same church uh, that my brother was married in. Really? And that is the same church where the, the pastor of that church was um, Father Lucas, Larry Lucas. Uh, that know. was many years later. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that something? It's a small world. Yeah. Uh, so w- what are some of the uh, hobbies? What kind of things did you get into uh, when you were growing up there in Harlem? Well, not much. I, you know,
2: me and schoolwork didn't get along. <laughs> I went to like, Let's see. Four different high schools. <laughs> After I got out of the Resurrection, I went. I went to another high school. Then I went to another high school. Mm-hmm. I went to Springfield, Ohio. I was good in sports, but that's about. Oh, it.
1: okay. Which which sports?
2: Baseball primarily, and football. And I went to Oakwood, near Poughkeepsie, New York. I lasted a year there. And my father got me out of there and sent me back to Springfield. Now I had been in Springfield for one year at a Catholic school, I did well. Then I went to Oakwood, then I, did do, I didn't do too well there. Then I went back to Springfield High mm-hmm. and eventually graduated in 1953. And then after that, I just, only thing I came back to New York and I met a friend in Ohio, I mean, on the street corner. And I asked him what he was doing. He said, listen, I'm going to college. I said, oh, great, where? He said, "Uh, Morgan State. I said, where is that? (laughs) He said, it's in Baltimore. Why don't you go? I said, okay. (laughs) I asked my my mother, I said, listen, I want to go to Morgan. So I went to Morgan and that's where I met my wife. Lady who became my wife, and uh, I lasted uh, a year there before they kicked me out of there. What did I do? I was, oh, I was breaking into a washing machine. Me and a friend of mine, we decided we wanted to break into a washing machine and get the money, which was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. So we got to change. So <laughs> the next morning, I got a knock on the door and I had a nickname, Jazbo. To this day, everybody calls me that. <laughs> I said, hello, who is it? He says, the dean. Oh, I said, hi, Dean, what can I do for you? He said, I think you know, meet me in the president's office in 10 minutes. So they knew they had me. And <clears throat> by noon, I was walking up Cold Spring Lane and I went down to town and joined the Air Force. And I called my mother and told my mom, mom, I'm joining the Air Force. Of course she said, what? But she was always saying what with me. (laughs) So I did four years in the Air Force. I came out, got married. And one day I just said, you know, I think I want to go back to Morgan. So I called Morgan, I spoke to the president I think. And I said, listen, this is Charlie Collins, Jazz i was a student there and i wasn't a very good student but uh now i'm doing a lot better and i'm married and blah 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 and i said can i come back and they said yes just pay for the washing machine
0: <laughs> wow
2: <laughs> and that was it Stephen. i paid it was only 37 dollars and i was back in college amazing
0: that's, that's incredible where did you get the where did you get the nickname Jazzbo from
2: well when I got when I first got there I was like a professional. Like I got on a football team and there was a disc jockey in New York named Al Jazzbo Collins and the stupid football players kept saying is that your father I said no is <laughs> <laughs> that your uncle and I said no So they just started calling me Jazzbo. And to this day, there are people who still call me Jazzbo when they would introduce me to their parents. (laughs) My name is Charlie. Charles, come on. But anyway, that name stuck with me. And to this day, there are a lot of musicians who call me Jazzbo. In fact, one of the guys who just passed away a couple of days ago, D. T. Thomas. Yes,
1: uh, rest he, in peace.
2: He hired me for cool the gang, mm. Mm. and uh, he passed away a couple of days ago. And he was, but he always called me both so That stupid name, stuck.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, our, our condolences, of course. D. T. Is, you know, one of the important members of that pioneering group, cool in the gang. Now, now you were when you were growing up. Uh, You talk about different cultural icons of the day and people who inspired others. Who were some of the people that inspired you? Some of the perhaps they were role models to you. Uh, Can you talk about some of those individuals? Let's see. I can't remember. There were athletes, you know, as I got a little older, you know, I'm an and. You know, the Joe Jackie Lewis's, uh, uh, Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Robinson.
2: Oh, yeah. And I met him and I had a friend who was a fighter, Tony Anthony. And we were driving down Seventh Avenue one time and we were close. So he sugar, he saw Sugar Ray on the uh, corner. He pulled over. And so he, the guy said, hey, Tony, how you doing? So my wife was in the front seat. So he put his finger under her chin and said, Who is this? Uh, so Tony said, hey, Ray, that's his wife. That's Charlie's wife. So he said, Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay, man. And he was one of my heroes, Ray Robinson. And I, I, I saw him again once uh, when I was in Motown, and I had to go to the airport to pick him up
1: hmm mm-hmm.
2: that's one of my duties yes yes. that Motown thing was crazy I'm
1: here to tell you so b- before we get to Motown itself because I know there's some amazing uh, encounters there what were some of the other jobs you had before arriving at Motown
2: well the biggest job I had before I got there was that I was a federal narcotics agent I went to federal bureau of narcotics and that's how I got to Motown, because one of my friends at uh, the Bureau of Narcotics became Director of Security at Motown, and he was the one who called me and got me to come to Detroit and meet Barry Gowley, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that was about the only big job I had after I got out of the Air Force, was the Bureau of Narcotics. And that was kind of nuts. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you a story, one little story before we get into it. I remember on a particular undercover assignment, cause you know, most of the black Asians back then, that's all we did is undercover work. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all we did. And I remember one time I was on an undercover assignment and got a little hairy, it was dark. And when I got back home, I noticed that all my bullets were on top of the dresser, and I I asked my wife. I said, "What did I go on this assignment without any bullets?" She said, "I guess so." Hmm. So I said, wow. Can you "Fix me a cup of coffee." I was a little nervous because on that particular undercover job, it was shaky and it got scary, but I knew I had my gun my ear in the back of my belt and I did not know I did not have any bullets. Wow, so, so you'll never see that in a movie. <laughs> no, no no
1: no no. That's that's pretty that's pretty incredible. Yeah. You, you know there were a number of as I'm sure you know, a number of people who entertainers who came out of uh Harlem. Uh I don't know if you had any opportunity to encounter them, but uh, some of them who were living in Harlem, I believe, were uh, Frankie Lyman and uh, Little Willie John at, at some point.
2: Yeah, and, and that is another story, Little Willie John. When I was in Detroit, I, I was with Stevie and I came home and I heard some people playing my piano downstairs in my basement. And I said... I asked my wife, Peachy, I said, who the hell is that? She got the friend of Tracy's high school. His name was Keith John. I said, okay. And I later found out that Keith and Kevin, they were, they were the sons of little Willie John who was one of my heroes. Because I was really into blues. Yes. And I had met <clears throat> Little Willie John, and now I'm talking to his son, who later joined Stevie, and in fact, he still him as a background singer, and that, that's the Little Willie John, Keith John thing, that was...
1: Wow. Little Willie John, I, I remember... I used to listen to uh, radio uh, in New York where they were playing a lot of uh, R&B, doo-wop, and so forth, music from the 50s primarily. And I remember one of the songs that really uh, appealed to me was a song called, Talk To Me. Talk to me, yeah. Yes, (laughs) beautifully done (laughs) by little Willie John, yes. (laughs) And and apparently his sister, uh, Mabel, uh, Mabel, did, Backup. Well, she, she didn't she perform for Motown as well as backup Ray Charles. I think she did some Motown work because
2: uh, I would hear uh, Keith saying Aunt Mabel all the time, but I never met her. Mm-hmm. But I think she did some work at Motown for a bit, you
1: know. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, let's go to Motown then. Uh, w- First of all, had you heard of Motown before uh, you were contacted to uh, take a position there?
2: Well, I think so, but I was, I wasn't, I was an agent, and I was living in Colombia, I think, somewhere down south. And my friend from the Bureau of Narcotics called me, and he said, "Are you getting tired of this all this undercover work?" I said, am I? (laughs) Of course. He said, well, how would you like to come up to Detroit and join me at Motown? So I said, whoa, (laughs) okay. So he said, listen, I've got you a plane ticket the way they did things the whole time. They just did things. I've got you a ticket. We'll see you tomorrow, and I want you to meet Barry Goody. So I told my wife, I said, "Okay, Peach, I'm going to Detroit to meet Barry Gordy. He might get a job in Motown." So I did. And then, in fact, when I met him, I was in the car with him. My knees were knocking. I was so scared. And Barry Goody was in the back seat, and he was asking me questions. And he would say, now, a couple of guys, Holland Dozier Holland, who were my heroes, they wrote all those songs for Motown. They this, they that, they this, Holland Dozier Holland, a couple other guys, and could you handle, you know, following them around? And I said, well, this is like some more undercover work. So he hired me. So I called my wife, I said, listen, I'm working for Motown now. And they put me in a hotel and it was like Mission Impossible. I wanted to go to the headquarters to meet all the stars, the heroes like Stephen Wonder and Marvin Gaye. They said, no, We want you to stay in the hotel. I said, okay. (laughs) And what do I do? Don't worry about it, Charlie. We'll give you assignments every day. It was just like the TV show. And the secretary would bring me my assignments, and I would have to find people and do things whatever everybody wanted me to do, blah blah, 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 blah. And uh, that was my introduction into at Motown. It took me a while to get down to Motown to meet the stars. And of course, there never be Stevie Wonder, you know, but that was something staying in that hotel. And I said, okay, and I was following people one time. and So that lasted for a while. And then of course, you know, things got better for me in terms of my job at Motown. I became like, yeah, I was like the assistant director of security, but I didn't know it yet. And then Stevie Wonder and everybody else. It was exciting, you know, a lot of different stories I don't know if you want to get into all
0: that. Oh, absolutely. So how did you end up transitioning from working security with Motown to getting more involved with the artists and managing their tours and things of that nature?
2: Well, you know, I was doing the security work, but come on, there wasn't that much security to be done. And one day... Who was it, you at Abner Badrusha? So he came to me and he said, Charlie, we're thinking about making you a road manager. I said, okay. (laughs) A road manager for any particular artist? He said, well, we're not sure yet, but we think you can handle it. So I became a road manager and they would send me out with different people.
1: Wow. Now, now just for our, excuse me, just for our audience, uh, the Ewood Abner was the president of Motown at that time?
2: Yes, I think. So. Yeah, he was president. So I became a road manager <laughs> and uh, for different people. I would go out with different people. And who was the guy who did war? What is a good for? Absolutely nothing. Who wrote that? Uh,
1: Edwin Starr.
2: Edwin, Edwin. I went out with Edwin went on the road with him. he was pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, he liked to gamble. We'd be on the plane and we'd be playing poker. He'd be sitting beside me and I could see his hand. <laughs> oh, this is going to be great. So, you know, coming from all of a halfway thug, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Every time I would look at his hand, I'd get his, and he would bet he would have bet something I said oh this guy's a fool you <laughs> <laughs> would have bet something and i have raised him and i just took all his money <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> and you know <laughs> later on I told him I said, you have to be careful when you play poker especially with a guy like me and he's going like what do you mean guy like you well I'll tell you later so but he was a guy when I went, I went out with some other people, and there were a bunch of people with spinners and this and that. But it got to Stevie Wonder. And those were the days before the limousines and the fancy hotels. We'd fly to a place, and I would rent three station wagons mm. one for me and Stevie, and one for the background.
0: Wow. One. So this so this was before Stevie kind of blew up into the superstar that we all remember and oh, know yeah. him as?
2: This was before that. And we then I had another station wagon for his equipment, which wasn't much, as you can realize, it will all fit into one station wagon. Yeah. And one station wagon for the guys, whatever musicians were with us. And we would go to a Holiday Inn and check in. Then I'd get him a room with two beds because we had we put a piano on one bed and then he'd be on the other bed. And we'd set it up and he would play. And that's another story that I'll tell you later. The Holiday Inn and all that stuff.
1: So what were your initial impressions about Stevie Wonder and his music? I assume this is back in the 60s?
2: Yeah, I thought he was from another planet.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: He, for instance, one day he called me and she said, come down right away. So, you know, I was on the same floor. I went flying down to his room. So I went in and I said, what's up? He's sitting in the dark playing his piano. It was on the other bed. And I said, what's that? He said, I I dreamed this song. I said, you dreamed it. Wow, it's great, Stephen, are you gonna record it? He said, I don't know. I said, you don't know? I mean, Stephen, this was a great song. So I went flying down to my room. I called my wife at two, three in the morning, I said, you gotta wake up, you gotta hear this story. I don't think he ever recorded that song. Wow. It was something, if you heard it, you would say, wow. And he dreamed it,
1: and he didn't record it. This is really interesting, uh, Charlie. W- we know, of course, and you were right there on the on the front lines that Motown had a certain formula. Uh, of course, you had HDH, uh, Holland Dozier Holland. You had the assembly line approach. You had people who were being choreographed. Uh, it was Charlie Atkins, and you and know, know so many others know. that were part of this infrastructure that that groomed okay. and prepared these practitioners of the sound, what became known as the Sound of of Young America. But Stevie, uh, and I think Marvin Gaye later on, suggested to us that they were pushing against that formula, that there was something in them that wanted to follow their own path. Uh, And it seems as though you got a glimpse of that in Stevie uh, early on. No question. We used to open up the show, what was
2: the name of that song? For Once in My Life, there was someone uh,
0: who... Yeah, Yes, For Once in My Life.
2: Yeah, and who, who
0: wrote that? Uh, it was Ron Miller and Orlando Miller. Burden. It
2: was Ron Miller. And yeah. I used to say, Steve, maybe we can get one of your songs we can open up the show with. I mean, he had a gazillion songs. Wow. And we opened up the show with Ron Miller's song. I said, "Wow, okay, this is something for once in my life. I'll never
1: forget that as long as I live." Wow, that's that's amazing. Now, you were on on the road as the roadmap, You were traveling what some audience members might not be familiar with, uh, called the Chitlin' Circuit.
2: Yeah, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, thinking about places like the Apollo the Royal Peacock in Atlanta, the Fox Theater in Detroit, Howard Theater in Washington, the Uptown in Philly. Um, What was that like? Were there any particular memorable places and experiences that you had uh, traveling to some of these places?
2: Of course, the Apollo was my town. You know, I was raised about 150th street to 125 blocks away from the Apollo. So I was, but those other places They were just another gig to me. Yes. And uh, I can remember one time we had a gig at the Apollo and I think I counted like 25 people in there. Wow. Wow. And I said, uh, everybody move up, come up closer to the stage.
1: Yeah, so they had 25 people to see Stevie Wonder, but that was, you know. So so this was during the days of the Mototown Review?
2: Oh, yeah, pretty much so. I remember that. uh, Yeah, Stevie was part of that, but not a big, not a big time part of it, but he was. I said, I remember doing one show at the Fox Theater in Detroit, but that was before I became road manager. And after I became road manager, of course, everything changed. I became a big wheel, quote unquote. Not really. I was just a road manager. And I met all the other road managers and that was something
1: else. That's quite an elite club. I mean, these uh, road managers. And I want to talk about that in in a moment i understand that um, there are a number of challenges to life on the road i'm curious to know what some of those challenges were that you faced and how did you negotiate whether it was in the south or the northeast in the us or in the west or in the caribbean europe asia africa middle east what how did you what what prepared you to be able to do the job that you did
2: well having been an iconic agent, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I was kind of smart. And when it came to dealing with people that I had to deal with, say, with a, maybe not a rough voice, but uh, I knew how to handle myself. So let me put it that way. And nobody, quote unquote, messed with me because a lot of them knew my background. But being a road manager, you know, back then with Motown Records was exciting. And for a lot of people who were there, especially the people at at the places where we played, they were excited too, to know that Stevie Wonder's road manager had been a narcotics agent and this, that, and the other. And uh, I got along with everybody just about, uh, I got along with everybody, especially the guys at uh, the Apollo Theater, Charlie Atkins, and some other people. But I didn't have any problems with them, and they didn't have any problems with me, because it was Stevie Wonder, even though it was like the beginning of his rise to stardom. And I can remember asking him, Steve. You know, there's some songs I think you should put out there. Uh, I remember when he came out with Music of My Mind. I said, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. He had some music in the in his head, in the back, in the top. I don't know where it was, but it was in there somewhere. It's <laughs> like I told my wife, he's from another planet, uh, he could, you know, anytime you dream a song and then decide not to record it. That, that was something. But, but we got along together. We, we got along with each other.
0: That's amazing. As... Stevie started evolving from the late 60s into this music of my mind era and also known as the golden era of Stevie Wonder's music. Did you notice anything in him uh, about his creativity or his artistry that was kind of changing at all, whether it was in the tours or in the studio or anything?
2: Not really. Uh, I didn't notice anything other than the fact that he would come up with songs that were just... Great!
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: And uh, they were just great. And I was so happy being part of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it something else. Now Stevie, he learned from other people too, as well, didn't he? I mean, he had great writers also at Motown, from Smokey Robinson, and of course, uh, a mentor to Stevie was people like Clarence Paul. Uh, yeah. And he collaborated with Sylvia Moy and others. Um, Can you talk about some of the people that you feel inspired Stevie Wonder as a musical artist, either as a writer or as a performer?
2: Not really. I never got a chance to 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 meet with him on that level. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that wasn't part of the scenario with Stevie and I. Mm -hmm. I was just a road manager and. There would come times when they would say, All right, Charlie, take him to Australia. Okay. <laughs> I went to Australia four times. Uh, wow. Four times. But that's the way they did things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, John Corsi, the friend of mine from your narcotics who got me to Motown, he called me one day. He says, uh, Barry wants you to go to Los Angeles. I said, I have to fly. I was afraid to fly that. I didn't like to fly. He said, yeah, it wants you to do some uh set up some security for Marvin Day. I said, okay, well, how do I do that? Flew to LA and I'm looking at a picture on the wall now. The guy hired who became security for uh, Michael Jackson. But anyway, I called the detective agency. I said, This is Charlie Collins in Motown, blah, blah, blah. Send me somebody. So uh, that became the Marvin Gaye thing. And uh, he became security for Marvin Gaye. But anyway, that's the way they did things in Motown. They would say, here, do this. Go to Los Angeles. I'd never been to Los Angeles. And they set me up in this hotel, big, fabulous hotel where I'd never been. And I said, oh, God.
1: So this is during the time when Motown or, or was transitioning from Detroit to Los Angeles?
2: Yeah, that was yeah, prior to, uh, because I can remember uh, when they decided to move to Los Angeles, we was just like, OK, we're going to L.A., and they told the rest of the musicians and artists. So I eventually went to L.A. and I brought my wife and my kids later. But anyway, that it didn't seem like it was much of a big deal. It's the way they did
1: things at Motown. Yeah. That's just the way they did things. So there were some people who were not able or not willing to make that transition. Is, is that fair to say? No question about it.
2: No question about it, because I think where the artists, they had a little studio there, and somebody had put a sign up there. We were going to move to L.A., and that's how they found out they were going to Los Angeles. Wow. So I said, whoa, okay. Yeah, that's cold. Yeah, that was cool. Now, I don't know whether that's a true story or not, but one of the guys who told us was an artist and he said, just go going to LA, move to LA. I said, okay, well, if you want your job, I guess you'll come to LA. And most everybody did. And no time, they had this great big fabulous office way up on front of that boulevard. <laughs> and here I was, but I hadn't been with, I wasn't with
1: Stevie then. You were with Marvin? No, no, I was just, I was there with the security. Team. Speaking of Marvin though, did you have an opportunity to see uh, Stevie and Marvin uh, interact?
2: Mm-mm, I did not. Uh, <laughs> I was at the gym once, working out, and everybody knew I was a Motown. So when I was checking out, I said, hey man, Marvin is dead. Wow. I said, what? So yeah, his father just killed him. I said, oh God. Now that's how I found out that Marvin was (laughs) killed. That's
1: horrible. That is horrible.
2: And I had known him and we had talked. In fact, I saw him once he was on the street near where I lived, and he was running. And I said, Marvin, what are you doing out here running with these jogging clothes? He said, I'm going. try out for the Detroit Lions. I said, you what? He said, I'm going to try out for the Lions. I said, Marvin, are you crazy?
0: Wait, Marvin <laughs> Gaye was trying to try out for the Detroit Lions? Yep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> said, wow. said,
0: kill you up
2: you, you sing songs. So I got out of the car and said, Marvin, don't do it. Because we have, we used to hang out at the bar with Barney and Ian couple of other people. I said, Marvin, don't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> don't do it, man. You're going to get hurt out there. You know, I, like, I can handle myself. Yeah, 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 right,
0: right. <laughs> so I think he tried
2: out. I think he lasted about four minutes.
0: <laughs> uh, That's longer than I would have expected. <laughs> he didn't last long. Wow. The Detroit Lions.
1: What, what was Marvin like as a, as a person?
2: Very nice. I I introduced him to my wife and to my daughter. He was just very nice. They had uh, something at uh, Barry Gordy's house. and He was there and I introduced him. He was just very nice.
1: And uh, Barry himself, what was his personality like? What do you remember about Barry?
2: Uh, Pretty cool. You know, he was Barry Gordy. And uh, I didn't get a chance to interact with him that often. But when I did, it was Mr. Gordy. You know, how are you? And this that, the other.
1: But he he was cool. Now, to, to go back for a moment to the road managers that you got to meet some of the other road managers. Uh, I, I recall uh, Alan Leeds uh, wrote a book about his experiences on the road with James Brown. Uh, did did you have a chance to talk with people like Alan Leeds or or even meet James Brown?
2: To, I can't remember. I remember meeting James Brown. Uh, in fact, like we we all did a show together, and he was on the show. God bless you. God bless you. That's what he was in. <laughs> I said, Mister Brown, how are you doing? God bless you. God bless you. This was after the show, but uh, you know, James was something quite the entertainer. Yes. But, you know, I, let's, I remember uh, Anita Baker. She was on the show with us, and she wanted to...
1: Uh, Anita Baker. Yeah, she she's wanted, from Detroit, uh, too.
2: Yeah, she wanted to come in and say hi to Stevie. I said, oh, come on in. We were changing clothes. She said, no, uh, he's dressed. So she wrote a note. I said, hi, Stevie, Anita. I said, what do you want me to do with that? <laughs> Stevie, I said okay. I put it in my scrapbook.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey.
2: Hi Stevie Anita,
0: that's really cool. That's that's a that's a memento to keep. That's for sure. Um, Absolutely,
2: I, it <clears throat> I think it's in New York in one of my scrapbook. But I kept that thing. Hi Stevie Anita, a blind guy. Okay.
1: <laughs> and Stevie's known for his sense of humor and, and pranks. And, and I know you could probably recount some of those, but um, you also have a sense of humor, as I understand it. Uh, <laughs> there was a, I came across an article where you, and Stevie, and some members of Wonderlove were in a hotel on Fifth Avenue. I think this was around 1974. And you and Mike Sembello, who's the guitarist and composer with, his, uh, with Wonderlove, Uh, We're in a hotel and you told Stevie, supposedly you told Stevie, uh, check out this great riff I just I just created on the guitar. And Stevie was like, what? Oh, wow. And he was listening to it. And then he reached out and he put his hands on the guitar and it turned out to be Mike playing on the guitar, not you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's something we would have Yeah. And yeah. 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 Well, some somebody seemed to uh find the time to put that one together because I thought that was funny. Uh shows your sense of humor. What are what are some of your favorite Stevie Wonder songs? Uh and and what was it like being with him in the studio?
2: Oh well I think one of my favorite songs is he has so many uh I remember the line in the song, it says, the writer takes his pen to write the words again. Uh, all,
1: all in love pen, is fair.
2: All in love is fair.
1: From inner visions.
2: Yeah, and I remember when he thought of that line, because I'm thinking, Mama, I think he asked Abner to write that down. Write it down. Wow. I just takes pen to write the words again. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I love that song. Yes. And uh, well, science is a little, of course, you know, but yes. there were so many. There were just so many. You know, his real name. Do you know his real name?
0: Is it a Steve Land?
2: Yeah, but it's spelled S T E V, like Stevland.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Stevland Morris. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Stephen Mar, uh, hey, everybody the everybody,
1: Stevie. apparently, he was very close to his mother, Lula Mae Hardaway. Uh, yeah. And they, I think, they wrote some music together. And and his brothers, uh, Milton and Calvin, were on the road with him at some points as well. Yes. Not for long. <laughs> mm. Okay. Uh, What what impressed you and and continues to impress you about, you know, impress you most about Stevie Wonder? You know, at the end, and at the end of the day, what do you think his legacy will be?
2: His his ability to write music out of the clear blue sky. His ability to do that, I think, his legacy. It was just incredible. I mean, it's just like I told you about the time he dreamed that song. And when you think of all the lyrics that Stevie was responsible for, man, it's just incredible. Yeah. I just happened to be in uh, Liverpool with Cool the Gang. I was working with them for a mem- moment. And one of the stations in Liverpool played Songs in the Kid Life all day. Wow. All day they played Songs in the Kid Life. And I said, wow. And that's when I got back to New York with the big billboard.
0: So how did you end up transitioning to work with Stevie Wonder to working with Cool and the Gang? Or were you working with them both at the same time?
2: No, not at the same time. I had... I stopped being road manager for Stevie because I, I was getting tired of being on the road. Mm. And I was in Detroit and I kind of wanted to spend more time with my wife and kids, etc. And one day... Uh, DT called me and he said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, about what? About uh, being a road manager for Cooling Gang. So I met him at a hotel and we talked and we came to an agreement on salary, and he hired me and that that was my Cooling Gang thing.
0: So it was mainly the idea about just being able to be closer to family and be a little more uh, or be a little less nomadic.
2: Yeah, I yeah right. I just I just wanted to come home. Yeah, you know so I got home and you know it's like like a lot of times people would say you would leave Stevie. I said it wasn't about leaving Stevie. It was about coming home. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to be home for a while, and it's funny thing. I got a I got a job. <laughs> few blocks away from my house selling used cars. And one of the first cars I sold, it had a leak in the gas tank. <laughs> and the guy came back and he said, uh, Mr. Collins, this car is leaking gas. Anyway, that job didn't last long. <laughs> and then the guy from Cooling Gang
1: called me, D.T. say man. What are some of the... Um, strong memories you have of of cool and the gang of callus of DT of Cool all the members uh, in your experience with them
2: yeah I can remember when they were like into the Muslim thing cool and the gang where well, Cool was and his brother Ronald cool got the name we were I think we were in Chicago and he got the name Mohammed and his brother got the name uh, Khalees. And uh <laughs> one time we were on a plane and uh, talking about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And he dated like me because, you know, I would say, uh, where is he living now? You know, in a while he's going to be dead, you know, because he's got... Asmund, he's got some serious things, Robert. Robert wasn't there. And uh, I remember one time we got to, um, It was to Chicago? And we went there, and then the driver the, who had drove the limousine said, I've never been in that house, man. It's some house.
1: Oh, uh, Elijah Muhammad.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I walked, well, we were inside and it was some kind of a house, around. There. It was, whoo. They had glasses with like gold around the top. I mean, it was some kind of, I think Wallace, Wallace or was staying there then. But
0: uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, that was pretty cool. I got along pretty well with most of those guys
1: especially D.T. What do you remember about D.T.?
2: Well, he hired me, and he would call me once a month, and he would say, how the girls, you know, talking about my daughters, because he met them, and, and uh, he was pretty cool. And then George Brown, the drummer, he and I were very close.
1: What was it like when your son-in-law became the lead singer for
2: Cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> I I was talking to Sammy Austin, who I had hired him. Uh, he came on the road with me. Then he started being on the road with Doolin and me. And they lost their lead singer for some reason. He said, mm. Man, you, gotta, you gotta hear this new guy. I said, Oh well, yeah? He said, Oh yeah, he can sing. <laughs> but he didn't tell me it was Gary Brown. It's new guy. I said, "Oh, okay." So later I found out it was my son-in-law.
0: <laughs> I said, "Wow,
2: okay."
0: That's really cool.
2: Yeah, that's man, because so I didn't do anything about Cool Gang then. Stephen just sent me uh for my birthday was August third, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, and he sent me uh. You know a happy birthday
0: thing. Oh, that's cool. It was long. It was long. Oh, that's Be- beautiful. That's Did Stevie beautiful. sing his happy birthday version or no?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a, another thing. Uh, well, his first wife, Sarita, she and I were born on the same day. Wow! Oh, wow! So I sent her a birthday message, although she had passed away. So he sent me something back.
1: That's beautiful.
0: Yeah, that's really nice.
2: Yes, I sent her a birthday thing and he sent me one. Happy
1: birthday, Charlie. God, give. Blah, blah, blah. So, uh, Charlie, you've talked a lot about Stevie Wonder as a visionary, composer, as an artist. Could you say something about Stevie Wonder, the activist, the humanitarian, whether it's dealing with apartheid whether it's dealing with civil rights whether it's advancing martin luther king's birthday as a national holiday uh when did you first learn about that side or encounter that side of stevie wonder
2: well i guess i first learned about him when he decided he wanted me to take him to dc a thousand times when he was trying to get the birthday thing yeah and uh i mean that was Sometimes, Steve.
0: How so? I
1: don't know
2: how many times? But it was quite a few times we went to Washington in order to try to get a birthday. I'll never forget those days. They were. Seems like it was always cold and snowy, and but uh, you know, I learned about that with that with that DC thing. I really learned how how he was and how he felt about things, and he was for real. Yeah he was for real and I remember one time we went to Capitol we were in somebody's office who was that guy he was the Speaker of the House what was
1: his name Tip O'Neill
2: Tip O'Neill we were in Tip O'Neill's office and Stevie didn't mince words and I was just saying ooh okay <laughs> <laughs> that man that's Tip O'Neill Stevie was not playing around and it's funny thing <clears throat> I went on the Ryan River cruise, maybe four or five times. And for every birthday they had, you know, they they would play Stevie's song, but just the first few bars of happy birthday. And I asked the guy, the manager of the boat, I said, do you know who that is? He said, no, not really, but we play in the first few bars for everybody who has a birthday on the boat. I said, that's Stevie Wonder, man. In like I got a little something on my wall. When they sent sent it to me, and they sent me a little, like a little postcard saying they were so happy that I had let them know. Because they put put it in the magazine for the cruise ship to let people know who that was. Yeah. Because I just heard the first few bars, and I said, "What?" <laughs> I said, "Man, that's Stevie Wonder's song." So they said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, maybe really." <laughs> so, in fact, this night like they even sent me a little thing that they had put in the, the, the newsletter to let people know when they heard that whose song that was. Because I don't think it got into Happy Birthday to You. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we
0: didn't
2: get to that yet.
0: The part that everybody remembers.
2: Yeah. Interesting. So I said, Oh, man, these people got to know that. Yeah, he he, he was the activist
1: and he became a united nations messenger of peace back in 2009 yeah and you've managed to stay in touch with stevie all of these years uh and that affection obviously is still there and still strong between both of you
2: oh yeah he just sent me my birthday thing
1: that's amazing what would you say uh charlie are some of the lessons that you've learned on the road, whether with Stevie or other groups, but just life on the road and the whole experience that you had through Motown and and beyond. What are some of the important lessons that uh, you'd like to share?
2: Well, I learned for the most part that I was not as important as I thought I was. You know, having been a narcotics agent and blah, 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 blah. I learned that, you know, Deep down inside, I was a road manager and I was fortunate enough to be associated with Stevie Wonder. You know, as I got, as I got a little older and, and I realized how important that was, that was one of the lessons. And I just, I just learned I just learned a lot of things that I just can't put my finger on. But, you know, when I thought of being raised up in Harlem and knowing the people and meeting the people. And, who was the writer? Black guy who lived in Harlem. And he wrote
1: Langston Hughes.
2: No, it wasn't Langston Hughes. It was
1: Claude McKay.
2: No, it was another guy, John Stewart. And he, I met him he in France. Oh,
1: James Baldwin.
2: James Baldwin. It was James Baldwin. How do you remember that? And I could And he came to the show and he introduced himself. And I said, "Mr. Baldwin, I know who you are. My name is Charlie Collins. So he says, uh, I'd like to invite you and Cool and them to uh, dinner at my house. I'll get a bunch of chicken and fry it up.
0: <laughs> so That's amazing. I
2: said, James- okay. so I told Cool and them and they they said no. I said, what? <laughs> no. Uh, that's one lesson I learned. So I told Mr. Ball later when I saw him, I said, Mr. Ball, I'm so sorry. But we, we can't come. Something has come up. I had to tell a big lie. Wow. I mean, how do you turn down James Ball? <laughs> yeah.
0: Especially if he's gonna fry up some chicken for you.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you're know, a liar from seeing big boy. <laughs> That's I was, amazing. I, I said, okay. But, you know, I, I learned a lot of things being with those two groups, through the
1: guy and, of course, Stevie, you know, he was, There are stories about him being psychic, that he could pick up on things or perceive things that people you know, would take for granted or not be consciously aware of. Oh, yeah. No question about it. Can, can you give some examples of that?
2: No, I can't. I
1: don't right now. All good. He was a big fan of Aretha Franklin, too, who also lived in Detroit at one point. Did Did you have a chance to meet Aretha? and Or did Stevie talk about any of these individuals? Miles Davis, Aretha Franklin?
2: I remember one time we were backstage and Aretha came in and he introduced her to me at, I was so tickled because her voice was just like the way she sang songs, <laughs> and I got so tickled, man. Was, oh!
1: <laughs> and and Michael Jackson was a big fan of Stevie, and learned from him. Uh, in fact, uh, they he and his brothers recorded on "You Haven't Done Nothing" on the Fulfillingness's first finale album back in '74 with Stevie. Did you have a chance to? meet Michael or?
2: Oh, yeah. In fact, the first time I met Michael. You know, I I introduced him to remember the guy I hired, the police officer. He became Michael's uh, security director. And Michael used to call us pigs because he was driving in the car and he was seeing, I see you pigs.
0: (laughs) We were law enforcement, right? I love knowing that about Michael Jackson now. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, he thought
0: it was big Michael boy. Did he have a great sense of humor similar to Stevie's?
2: Who's that, Michael?
0: Yeah. No. Oh, really? Uh,
2: Stevie was something else. He was just, he was Steven and Morris.
1: Yeah. Last question I I wanted to uh, present to you. It has to do with the importance of Black radio. There are a number of radio stations from Detroit, Chicago, L.A., certainly New York, Philadelphia, other places. Uh, And there are names like uh, Frankie Crocker, Georgie Woods, Georgie Woods, yes, (laughs) Herb Kent, the cool gent over in Chicago. Can you talk about the role that some of these radio personalities played uh, in terms of advancing the music of people like Stevie Wonder and maybe some of your encounters with them?
2: They were disc jockeys, and they were, they were pretty cool they were cool dudes, and none of them were, you know they know who they were, and they knew they knew who Stevie Wonder was. And whenever I, we were in town and I would meet them, they were always jovial and you know, everybody knew their place, quote unquote, in terms
1: of music.": Yes. Don Cornelius, of course, among them. I remember
2: we were, at a, we were doing a show in LA
1: and there were a bunch of people
2: outside waiting to get in and Don saw me. And he said, Charlie, Charlie, can you get me here? Cause he remembered me. Cause I had <laughs> show with Cool and them and everybody. He said, Charlie, can you get me away from all these people? I said, listen, okay, listen very carefully. When you turn around, you walk to the corner there, you'll take a left you walk down about, I don't know, 30 yards. You'll see a door on the left. Open the door and come in. He said, okay. And I was standing on the inside. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't want everybody else to see what I was doing with that pony.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> they just did a, a movie on him, I think. I saw something I saw it
1: was about that. I there was a production that just came out called Summer of Soul by Questlove that featured, this was taking place in Harlem, and it features some of the top acts of the day back in the late 60s.
0: And he also has that show that's based on his life called American Soul, too.
2: Maybe that was, did I see that? I And it's uh, it's something you know, growing older, and when you start seeing your friends die, that that that's part of it.
0: Growing older,
2: that's part of the deal. Mm -hmm. And like I never thought I'd see DT die before me. Wow! Yeah, and he died. or four days ago
1: and I said oh man so you know. Do the youth today and the activism that you see with the youth following George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, Mm. situations like this, does that give you hope for the future of this country, of the world?
2: Yeah it and and it has to. Mm -hmm. It has to, yeah. it gives me hope and I say, okay, we're gonna get through this, around this, and on top of this, but it's gonna happen. Cause if you don't feel that way, you know, you've had it. So, and you know, it's just like, and then all of a sudden, Afghanistan.
1: <clears throat> yeah, yes.
2: And the guy, reaching down and pulling the little baby girl up over the thing. I said, oh God, I can't. I don't know if I can take much more of this. It's it's, it's something else. But you know, we just have to deal with what we have. We have to deal with what we have. And I see this crap, all these things that are going on. I think of the little children. I think about my granddaughter, who's now appearing in a show called "Gossip Girls on TV, wow. and uh, yeah, she's her name is Savannah, Savannah Lee Smith. That was Tyler's daughter. she's she's got a nice little role there. That's wonderful. Yeah, hey, I'm happy for her. <laughs> yeah, I never saw this silly show from teenagers. But anyway, I'm happy for her.
0: Yeah, and I can definitely say that, you know, if it wasn't for the work that you were doing with a lot of these groups and bands and artists throughout the 60s, 70s and 80s that helped to carry messages forward, uh, like some of the messages that Stevie Wonder was putting into his music and Marvin Gaye, etc. You know, there wouldn't have been that foundation for musicians, and artists and creatives today to use yeah. that platform to to get their voice out and uh, to speak on you know, a lot of the injustices or the social issues that are going on today. So, I mean, there, yeah, there wouldn't be the, the artistry within the movement that you sort of see today without that same sort of artistry getting out and around the world through tours and through shows uh, that were all, for a lot of these artists, managed by you. So it's a definite thank you for everything that you've Absolutely. done to help. Lay a foundation for where we are artistically today and how we can use that as a vehicle for positive change.
2: Exactly. It was like when Marvin Gaye came out with What's Going On? Mother, mother, man, how that song, it meant so much more than just a song. Yeah. And I, I can't remember if they wanted him to bring that out or
1: not. They kept it on the shelf. For yes. at least a year.
2: There was some controversy. It was a great
1: song. Yeah. He
2: said it was like, "What the hell is happening here?" Yes. Few people listening to me.
1: So when music. They... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, I'm not I
1: was just going to say that music through your experience at Motown and through this your interaction with these artists, the importance the agency of music itself became more important to you. Your understanding or appreciation for the power of music became amplified by your interaction with these individuals. Is that fair to say? No question. You know, when
2: I think of, uh, I wrote a song the other day, it was, what was uh, who was the young lady uh, dancing in the street?
1: Uh, Martha Reeves?
2: Yeah, Martha did and I wrote a song and I was part of the song I went back to Detroit to see Martha Reed dancing in the street and when I got there there were strangers everywhere nobody remembered me things ain't gonna be the way they used to be
0: mm. wow that's song. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that you're still writing songs and getting that creativity yourself out there
2: well, you know, it's Martha was here. You know, in fact, <laughs> one time I went to Martha's house to see how she was doing. Barry sent me over there. He said she was doing okay. She said, Charlie, I'll be all right. At it. Let me show you something. She pulled a book down off of the shelf. And she had a little fake pistol in it. <laughs> said, and what are you going to do with that? She said, Well, if anybody comes in here, I said, Martha, that's a fake gun. <laughs> and I wanted to say, even Stevie wanted could tell him, that's a fake gun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. to
2: anybody else. So she put it back.
1: How, what inspired you to, to write music? When did that begin for you?
2: I don't know. It was a long time ago. I... I wrote a lot of blues songs. In fact, I got them on my piano. There weren't much of anything. One song I, I like. I always sing slow walking blues. I take my time wherever I go. Never been in a hurry to get somewhere in my mind I don't even know. I sing slow walking blues wherever I go. If you want to walk with me, come on and take my hand. I ain't going nowhere fast. I'm a slow walking man. (laughs) And and, you know. Wow. (laughs) I you know, I haven't. I used to be somebody, now I'm just somebody else. I used to be somebody now I'm just afraid of photograph in the basement on a dusty shelf. Mm. I used to be a loving man, now I'm an old man who can't fly in love. And I haven't finished it,
1: but you know, hey man. This is amazing, uh, Charlie. This is a whole other, <laughs> whole mm. other aspect uh, to your experience that uh, is—it's incredible. I, first of all, I would encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. I, I guess you don't need my encouragement because you've been doing it so long. But this is this is fantastic to hear. Thank you, thank you for sharing this.
2: You got a time? I wrote something for my mother on her birthday. You
0: got time? I just <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, most definitely.
2: Poor education, no representation, constant segregation. Just what do you all want from me? No miscegenation in this moral, rich white nation often referred to as a democracy. I've given a, gap, I've given a gallon of blood, of life, an ocean of tears. And you told me to mind my manners. manners. I've been mistreated and lived for 300 years. While singing the Stars Banger Banner, who in the hell wrote that anyway? I said, you miss, I'm tired of singing a song, meaning little to me, and your flag that flies high up in our sky, draping conference of brothers who fought for you and died. I pray not in ban a band, oh man, I'm done just what you expected of someone, someone you never really respected. Oh man, the winter comes soon in my unheated room, and how quickly you brothers forget my place in the sun has got to be won. That's what you say when I'm down, and I take the blame for most of your shame. When the smoke clears and the sun gunshots sound, Hitler burned books not too long ago, and you you denounce him as a unseemly strict man, yet. Yeah. Now each day you being a burn our souls and to the republic for which it stands, sweet land of liberty, I pledge, uh, say, can you see, oh, father, which art in heaven, I can't remember, but I wrote that
1: for my mother. That is so moving. Long time ago. <laughs> wow. Thank you Thank for you. sharing that. Thank you so much, Charlie. This has been an incredible Treat and an honor to be able to speak with you and to learn about your life, about your life experiences, notably at Motown and, and with Stevie Wonder and beyond. This has just been a wonderful experience. Thank you so much.
2: Well, I thank you and I appreciate you having me,
1: man. Okay. Well, and, and thank you to uh, Leslie and all those who made this moment happen. We're very appreciative to all of you, and Gary, of course, and Tracy.